Welcome everyone to another episode of the In Real Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Samino, and with me as always is my co-host, Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Good evening, Steve. Uh, I'm awake, sleepless in Rockville. Oh, no quote, and, uh, just, a, just a light reference uh, to the film? I have one. I have one. <laughs> okay. I just, just want to say it's, it's good to be back with you because, you know, you and I are MFEO. MFEO. Made for each other. <laughs> the the girl who then a girl now a woman who plays that she's the one from Transparent, right? Uh, yes, and uh, Obvious Child and yes, uh, Obvious uh, Child. With she's the, in Girls briefly too. Her very uh, pronounced uh, her eyebrows are very. She yeah. she lets them be uh, near unibrow, Anthony Davis yes. style, and it really yes. defines her as an actress. Yeah. Gabby Hoffman is her name. Yes, Gabby she, Hoffman. She's I mean she's good in other things. She's not good in this, as many her and the her and the other child in this are insufferable to say the least. But we're gonna get to that in the very. She commits crimes, actually. Yeah, they, they're oh, they're well, well, I, I can't go off. We gotta go through the intro first, but I want to talk about it so bad. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Unreal Deep Podcast. We are back. We are talking Tom Hanks as we have been doing for the last couple weeks now, and we are on to another movie, Tom Hanks movie that I have not seen, which has been sort of a running theme, and I believe this is the last of the ones I haven't seen, and uh, probably not as contentious as the League of Our Own episode, but certainly worth debating, and and uh, elements of it that I find very intriguing. I'm talking, of course, about Sleepless in Seattle, the 1993 rom-com, really one of the most defining rom-coms of all time, and I will say, Andrew, having not seen it, I don't understand why. I don't know <laughs> what this movie does to make it so iconic and and beloved. I just I, I, I didn't see it. Uh, I so yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I was I, 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 I saw this movie back when it came out. Uh, I was a young a young lad. I don't know why I saw it. It probably wasn't meant for me at that point in time. But uh. You know, I held it up as one of the great rom-coms, and I, I think it it enjoys that reputation. Um, but Critical it is really commercial success, two hundred twenty-seven million dollars worldwide. So yeah, it is really not a great movie, and I'm grading it on like rom-com a rom-com curve too. I'm not expecting it to be, you know, the rom-com genre is sort of like, you know a joke at this point right i mean it, it was sort of turned into that in the late 90s and early 2000s because it's so, so formulaic and um uh but this is one of the ones that sort of like set it on that path it feels like i guess it, i guess we should say modern romantic comedy right not like a golden age of hollywood romantic comedy uh classified that way too but uh this is just not a good movie and uh, I know you, because we've talked about it a little before, I know you haven't seen When Harry Met Sally. It's going to be hard to talk about this movie without talking about that movie. Um, but my one thing that I would implore people to do if they haven't seen this movie or When Harry Met Sally, is like, please, God, go see When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> Which it's, it, 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 it's hard to not talk about it, and I, I can go into more detail on this, just because they share so much DNA in terms of like the way they're... And, the cast, literally, I mean, in the case of Meg Ryan, but uh, they just share so much in common. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's, and, uh, you know, Amanda and I will actually watch this, that, that, when Harry met Sally every New Year's Eve because we, we really love that movie. That is uh, a great romantic comedy. And this is just not, it's just not. And I'll tell you, I will, you know, I didn't get a chance to do it before the record, but I'm absolutely going to watch When Harry Met Sally this week, because I totally get it, and and I mean, I, I'll go into that like I went into this, like I did, like you sort of said, I didn't have 
Oh, world beater expectations. I didn't think I was seeing one of the finest films of all time. I was just hoping for an entertaining sort of... I was even hoping for sort of like a, a Hoosiers type experience, where if you watch Hoosiers now, you have to remind yourself sort of like this invented this kind of sports movie in a lot of ways, you know? Like, right. everything... everything it, it seems formulaic now, but that's because it did it, you know, not first, but it certainly was a very... Uh, a genre-defining type of film, you know? And I think with this movie, I was expecting that, When, but now, you know, in talking to you, I think when Harry Met Sally is that movie is that's the genre defining rom-com and this is just for whatever reason doesn't have the charm or the characters or really the anything like again i've never seen that movie but this this right you know this doesn't have anything that i would really regard as as classic or or captivating beyond maybe a really really satisfying ending before we get too far though andrew let's do our beverage of choice segment so let's talk about what we're drinking tonight while we are talking about tom hanks i um I have the El Segundo Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA. So that is Stone Cold Steve Austin's official beer that is made at the El Segundo Brewing Company out here in Los Angeles, outside little outside of Los Angeles in El Segundo, and it's great. It's uh it's very big. It's got a big skull on it. It's uh with with a big crack in it and it's uh pro wrestler approved. So it's really really up my alley. I feel like you've had this beer on the podcast before. I probably have, but yeah. not for a while. I found a four-pack at the Just, store, and I said, I, I mean, if I see a four-pack of this at the store, I'm buying it 100% of the time, uh, because got to support Steve Austin now more than ever. Yeah, I'm He's sure fine. He I just to, want to support sure, him now. Sure, he needs, <laughs> sure, he needs the money. Um, well, no, I, I just, I don't, I don't, I doubt my memory. I'm not. That was not accusatory. Uh, drink whatever beer you want, uh, but I, I just don't. I, I'm trying to make sure that my memory isn't making up a, a scenario where we talked about Stone Cold Steve Austin on this podcast. <laughs> That that would be that would be I would be on the wrong podcast. Then, we like, didn't literally. talk about the hit film The Condemned yet, which is a great Steve Austin movie. Definitely the Steve Ooh. Austin movie, Steve Austin performance of all time. But we haven't well, gotten that far yet. So once once he gets COVID nineteen, we can do a Stone Cold. Don't don't uh, you even dare uh, <laughs> say that. Don't even hint at it. Please. Well, if Tom Hanks can get it, I so. know it's that's the pro- anyone can get it. Yeah. That was why Tom put it out there in the world. You know, just letting us know it's not impossible. So you're right. And his lovely wife, Rita Wilson, who's in this movie. Sure is. I, I would imagine they met on this movie, correct? I can't. They did not. No, I looked they it up. They didn't? Wow. Before this, then? Yeah, several years. Yeah. Oh, well, she's she's not, it's nice to see her in this. I was uh, Rita's great, so that was fun she to see her. She is not Colin or Chet Hayes' um, mom, a biological mom. Oh, neither uh, one of them is her son? No, yeah, they have two other I kids. I knew Tom was together. married before, but I didn't. Re- I thought one of them, at least, was hers. Wow. So she has the, the younger, less known Oh, I'm sorry. Hanks. Excuse me, Colin is not her son. Chet is. Oh, um, you. Her son. Okay, good. Chet, I mean, Chet's the star of the family, so thank God. It's good. <laughs> Chet's got a bright future ahead of him. Yes, I'm sure he does. <laughs> sure he does. Uh, man, uh, that's just going to throw me off for a little while here. Yeah, um, tell me what you're drinking first, and then we can oh, we'll yes, give you a right, second to sorry. pause. Okay, yes, I can do that. I can read off the can. <laughs> um, I'm drinking a, a, a Snake Den Saison from Seven Locks Brewing. Uh, they're pretty much the only brewery I'm drinking right now because they literally just drop beer on my porch like once a week because I order it, which is in, like, I think we've already talked about this, but one of the few silver linings to everything we're kind of dealing with right now is the fact that you know alcohol just can be dropped in your porch now that's nice. very nice for a busy man like yourself you gotta take the, take that booze where you can get it and they yeah. get it right to you so that's a lot with two small kids at home yeah 
So, well, Andrew, let's yeah. talk about Sleepless in Seattle. Like I said, I have not seen it yet, but you've seen it before. You've seen When Harry Met Sally, and you watch this with your wife as well. And I think that was, you know, I uh, I certainly sought out some female opinions on this movie before we recorded because when I like like we already sort of hinted and, and talked about, I did not find it that captivating. And I was refreshed to hear that we're not alone in that regard. It's not just two bros, you know, not getting a rom com. Like though, it is you know enjoyed for certain merits. It does not have the reputation, with some people at least, with the small subset of people I talk to, that you'd expect given it's sort of a standing amongst others. Yeah, you, we should make clear you didn't do like a serology <laughs> test. No, of... I did not. I was not going around. I didn't pull. You know, there was, the margin of error is very high on this one. So. Yeah. Uh, no, I, yeah, it's one of those, I guess, that like you kind of look back and scratch your head at uh, why, why was this so great? Other than like... Well, I guess I guess one one and, and one way to think about it too is like the fact that um, you know I think so. This is the the second of I believe three or four movies that Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan uh, co-star in, um, and the the next one is you you've got mail, and um, I don't I think you've got mail was like a big hit, but I don't think people look back on it as like sort of genre defining in quite the same way as as this one. And uh, I gotta say, I don't know why, really. I don't. I don't know why. I don't know why. And, and that's not a praise for you've got mail. That's more a, a questioning why people think of Sleepless in Seattle so positively. So yeah, it's you know the, the let's, let's talk about what there is to like. You know, I say the cast <laughs> is the cast is pretty stacked with a lot of people you've seen yeah. before. You got David yeah. Hyde Pierce. You got Rob Reiner for a hot second. You got a bunch of people coming back from League of Their Own, including obviously Mr. Hanks, but also Rosie O'Donnell and Bill Pullman. I think yeah. Bill, Pull- Bill Pullman is the best character and maybe the best performance in the entire movie. You have Victor Garber popping up from Alias. You know, you got a lot of great people, and you have a bunch of very charming little moments here and there. Like, the dialogue can be snappy. Uh, Tom Hanks is definitely exuding his Tom Hanks charm. We can talk about whether he is exuding anything beyond that, but he certainly has that Tom Hanks charm still there. And like, and like, and like you said, the ending is very... The ending is very iconic for reasons i can understand like it is it, it really it doesn't it doesn't wash away a lot of the previous problems but it just is really sweet and really well done and and makes you a little bit retroactively you know from my perspective at least care about these characters more like i didn't think i was going to give a shit about them finally meeting and having a moment and then when they do and i was also i was talking to my friend Allie, who i referenced on the league of their own episode and she she reminded me that you know there's the whole conversation before about when tom hanks's character sam baldwin says when he touched his wife they had this he knew he loved her and then there's the scene in the end when tom hanks touches meg ryan and there's the little they pause and there's a little spark and like that's all really sweet and really nice and and great and i love that and i was impressed at how much i cared about the ending and how much it actually touched me but it doesn't make me forget that there's just so many strange odd character and plot and everything choices leading up to it you know there's just it's just it's 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 i I don't understand in particular and this is no slight to meg ryan but i don't understand why her character in this is is like little unbeloved it's just i just don't it's she's so weird and so clingy and so and just it's just not exuding anything that i would call lovable or 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 you know sweet it's just she's just odd and it's an odd movie yeah well, and yeah, and the end is, it's funny to start start at the end, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but but it's the best the, part. Like, it is the, yes, without it, a doubt. It, yeah, it's the best part in the movie by far. Uh, it's, it, it does, it, it is like a little magic spell that it casts over you, which is kind of mystifying having watched the preceding, you know, <laughs> 90, 90 minutes. Um, and 
you know, I, I don't, I don't know what that's about. I mean, it's, 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 it's really bizarre in so many ways, you know, right before this, as you're sort of referencing Annie Reed, Meg Ryan's character, like literally ditches, uh, Walter, Bill Pullman's character, whose only crime is like having allergies and being a bit of boring, I guess. Yeah. He's a wiener, uh, but whatever. Love <laughs> crime. Yeah. Well, I don't think Annie Reed is like not a wiener. Um, <laughs> so, so, uh, and, uh, and, and so it's like, it's very bizarre to then get wrapped up in this moment. Like as you, as I know you're going to go off on the sun, Jonah, oh, like, don't kinda, even get me started. He's, he's kind of, I do want to get you started. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's kind of shitty. And yet it, it kind of like all wells up. And it's also like riffing on this classic Cary Grant movie in Affair to Remember, which I haven't seen, but is like, it's very, every everything about it is like very strange. And yet, and yet it, it delivers this, uh, this, 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 this this ending that works that's cloying and sentimental and is not earned and it's cheap uh and yet it's just well executed which i guess tells you a lot about um you know how important execution is in film and 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 as you said like you do have this stack cast you also have Nora efron who wrote and directed this and wrote a lot of things uh, wrote when harry, when harry met sally she's certainly we know she's certainly capable of delivering this sort of thing right um it, it it just make again makes that that previous 90 minutes all the more mystifying and all the more puzzling um because they are really not enjoyable yes and before we get into jonah the sun which i have i have i feel like i have 15 minutes of material on this fucking kid but i will say <laughs> you get Nora efron writer director Meg Ryan, you know, certainly I would say the protagonist of the movie gets the most screen time. Tom Hanks' Sam Baldwin is really just sort of a blank slate who's there. Like, he's again, he's got a little charm, but he's he's a grieving widow. Like, he, widower, he's just, uh, he's, um, he's, uh, he's not happy. And a lot of the movie is really just giving him the time he needs to sort of get back to a place where he can love again. And that's yeah. fine. That's not super, exactly the most exciting character for a movie, necessarily, you know? That's usually, that's a lot of sad slowness, but it's fine. But Meg Ryan's character, like, again, I, and I feel like this is more for a female critic to say, so I don't want to go too deep into it. But just from my, I hope, as objective perspective as I can offer, Annie Reed is just a very weird character. Like, she's just, she makes choices that are weird. Like, she makes plot choices. It's not even her, like, as Meg Ryan or as whatever. Like, the choice to have her go to Seattle, look at Tom Hanks from across the street, and then apparently fly back home to Baltimore, and then, like, never see him. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Why would a human being do that? Like, it's not even, like, a sweet eccentric choice, you know, where it's like, oh, she's just a weirdo. Like, it's just, why why would that ever happen? And the movie doesn't even explain it. Like, it cuts back to Baltimore, and they're like, you came back? And she says, yes. And that's just it. There's no, like, it's just, it feels cheap. It feels, I, I, I don't, it feels cheap, but I also don't understand what it's being cheap to. Like, I don't understand why it's moving us along this fast or leaving these parts out or offering us no explanation. Like, it's cheap that offers no benefit to the audience. It just is a strange decision that just makes this character seem odder than she is. And as you said, like, at the end of the day, she objectively does a shitty thing, which is leave her fiancé, who she's been toying with the whole movie and is a very sweet man, albeit a nerd, she leaves him by the wayside just because she has this inkling that she might love this other man, which rom-coms do that all the time. That's fine. They don't have to be utterly realistic. But when this is the main character of the movie and someone you're supposed to be rooting for, I don't understand. And even if they do pay it off at the end with, you know, 
this sort of pleasant optimism about what will happen between these two characters who don't know each other but seem fated to be in love, that just doesn't go with the rest of the movie. Like, it doesn't... Like, if this whole movie was about missed opportunities and, and you know, two people who didn't have anything in life and were trying to find something and kept missing each other here and there and then finally finding each other, that's sweet, that's beautiful. That's not what this movie is. This is someone who's, in, who's engaged and someone who is grieving and then dating somebody, both of them making shitty, short-sighted choices, and then it magically working out in the end for them. Like, I just don't understand if, that, if that's a lesson we're taking away from it. How is that good or beautiful or, or making me smile and feel happy? What's funny is you, uh, what you just described as a nice movie is, in very broad strokes, kind of the plot of When Harry Met Sally. It's, <laughs> it's two, two, people who are, uh, two people who are friendly and just keep missing their opportunity and their moment, and then they've you know, finally, kind like of that's what you said about execution. Uh, like that's yeah, like we, we've yeah. talked about this before on the podcast. Like simple ideas done well, that's how it should be. Those those work for a reason. And like stories about love, you can't just move a bunch of pieces around and then have them get to an ending and act like it all made sense and should be liked. Like everyone who likes this movie, I bet so many of them just remember the ending and they don't think about the previous eighty minutes, which do not go with the final ten. Yeah, and I think, like, to go back to Meg Ryan for a second and her character, um, she, you're right, she, she's a, possibly a crazy person, <laughs> um, definitely a stalker, and also, you know, ethically compromised, I guess I would say, which is a lot to foist on a poor widower, as you say, um, <laughs> and uh, her, his deranged <laughs> sociopath son. Yeah, um, fucking but wait, 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 hold on, before we go to the, like, I just have to say that, um, you know, she, like, uh, which I guess as a, this is kind of what you're getting out of this being a man, and I, maybe I shouldn't say that, but like she, like what my least favorite moment in the movie is actually when she asks Rosie O'Donnell if what she's doing is crazy, and Rosie O'Donnell's like, "No, it's not crazy." And I'm like, what? my my like head exploded. And I was like, yeah, what? it doesn't feel like you know, crazy. like I fully understand you know, female characters or real life people supporting each other through rocky paths, but it's a self-made rocky path at best, and it's also incredibly objectively strange choices she's making. So there's no reason on either side to back what Meg Ryan's character is doing. It's just, it's just it, it is crazy to tell her it's not crazy. Yeah, yeah. I think at best, like, if I was the friend in that situation, I'd be like, well, it's a little crazy, but, you know, everyone does crazy things. You know, something like some bullshit like that. Or even and some I'm, rom-com laziness. Like, but you're yeah. in love. Like, you know, yeah, that they, yeah. every other movie yeah. uses that. I'd, ra- I'd prefer that to what happens in this. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so this is why, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to spend the whole episode comparing this to When Harry Met Sally. But Meg Ryan's character in, in When Harry Met Sally. Sally. Uh, <laughs> spoiler alert. Sorry, Steve. Um, uh is is very similar in some ways to Annie Reed. Uh, she's like the, the Sally character is like very a very neurotic and particular person, um, but it's not um, it's not all in service of a, of a plot where they're trying to get these two people to the Empire State Building. Right? It's actually just the character is, and it's it's almost like it's both she and Billy Crystal's character in that movie have, they're, they're actually flaws that, you know, become things you kind of love about them. Right. And, um, whereas in this movie, like she's a crazy person so that they can again, go to the top of the empire state building basically and have this one moment. Um, and so that to me is what's like, 
uh, one of the things that's very, uh, very frustrating about this film is knowing that Meg Ryan and Nora Ephron can bring to life a really great female character who you want to root for um, in a in a rom com like this. Um, and this is not someone who really you're pulling for uh, until like the emotion overtakes you and the elevator door is open at the top of the observation deck at the Empire State Building. So, yeah, yeah. and you know. <laughs> We got to get into this because it's it's a, it's really the plot driving all the movie. We're gonna like if we're gonna question why certain things happen and why choices are made. A lot of the plot is moved along in this movie by the son Jonah Baldwin, played <laughs> by some then kid named Ross Malinger. And I gotta say, like this is maybe the most annoying kid I've ever seen in any movie. I hated this kid so much. Like you said, you called him a sociopath. He's that's exactly right. He's just. He's insufferable. He, he, I understand, like, there, there's a, maybe a fr- chunk in the beginning of the movie where you're like, okay, his mother passed away. Like, I get that he's reeling and making bad choices because he's a kid. Like, of course he doesn't. Like, I give him a, be- a lot of benefit of the doubt because that's what you do for people in that scenario. But the whole fucking movie then, beyond the point where grieving becomes a factor in the movie, he's just being a fucking asshole. He's just, he's ruining Tom Hanks' life. He's, he's... He's he's calling up radio stations and having conversations with the hosts. Like he's he's sending letters. He's booking airplane tickets. Like he's just being snappy, and he's not even being cute snappy. He's being like a dick snappy. Like he's just everything he can do to be insufferable is there. And to give him the most mild amount of credit, Nor Afron does not. Nor Afron should be really ramming home that this kid is grieving and and is therefore uh, sort of broken and sort of weird. But I don't think I think by the halfway point of this movie, you forget all about that, and he's just doing dumbass kid shit. And you're just mad at them for doing it. And you're like, stop doing it. Stop being a dick. Like any father would be screaming at you by now because you're just trying. You can do everything to ruin his life, and you're not even being cute about it. You're not even being fun. You're not being making am I a stinker faces at the camera. You're just <laughs> sucking. And then the and the kid's also not a good actor for like he's not cute. He's not like he's not. He's just he's just there. Like he looks annoying. You almost want to throw him out the window just to start. And then he starts saying and doing annoying shit. And you're like, wow, you are just even worse than you've seen before. Like I thought you just looked dumb and now you're being dumb and it makes me like you even less and I think it's just and and he's so key to everything and he's another character that at the end it all sort of redeems him because he moved that he was like a chess master moving these pieces except he wasn't and it was dumb luck and weird shit and he deserves no credit and he just sucks like I hate him and he 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 made me like this movie considerably less than a movie with no kid whatsoever in it I mean, you have to say he and Annie belong together, though, right? I mean, fucking nuts. Yeah, Victoria really dodged a bullet there. (laughs) and he and he Um, makes his dad break up with his woman because she has a bad laugh and because he doesn't like her anymore. Perfectly nice. She can cook a nice meal. Yeah, and she's so nice to the kid. Like he's she's doing the best she can in this weird scenario, and the kid just cannot shut up about how much he doesn't like it and how much he wishes she was with some person who sent a letter to him, like. Oh, it's just, it's it's he's, so much. He's extremely hostile to Victoria. It's not, again, not like, not like normal, just kids being kid things. Nor is like, it he's like just, cute, nor oh, is it yeah. like, you know, that's what I'm saying, like Gabby Hoffman and, and him become this like little duo <laughs> out of nowhere. And then neither one is like, be again, not they're not being like little stinkers who you're laughing at their hijinks. They're just being jerks. Like they are just kid jerks. And I don't like <laughs> adult jerks. And I also don't like kid jerks. So... <laughs> Well, I think you question Sam Baldwin's parenting, doesn't it? Um, well, the woman on the radio says 
she doesn't doubt that Tom Hanks is a wonderful father. So, yeah. There's a lot of bad people. That radio host is a bad person. Yeah, the radio host sucks, too. She's like, (laughs) she's so convinced that Tom Hanks needs a wife and a mother. Like, she's just adamant about this stranger she does not know finding, you know, a a wife regardless of, you know, the situation. She just insists that it happens as soon as possible. And that's really mean. And she doesn't know them. And you shouldn't say that to somebody. Well, this whole movie is like doing that, right? It's like forcing Sam Baldwin to this place where he doesn't isn't even really sure he wants to be, um, which is you know insufferable in its own way. <laughs> um, yeah, I I don't I don't know. It's uh, you know I don't have as I'm not as fired about this kid uh, as as you are, but um, I'm not going to defend him in any way. Is he more more insufferable than the Love Actually kid who like has to? Yeah, because that kid's cute at least, though. Like that kid is, yeah. you know, and that kid's a kid playing yeah. sort of the he's he's doing. The, they're similar in that they're doing the the kid sort of playing older than their age type deal, you know, where yeah, they're like right. they're very yeah. smart and they know how to do all these You're things. Precocious, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're precocious. <laughs> they're very precocious. But Love Actually Kid is adorably precocious. And Liam Neeson also is, that character is written in a way where him and Liam Neeson are sort of simpatico, you know, like they yeah. they're on the same page. They're hanging out. They're like weirdly peers. That's the joke of Love Actually is him and his son yeah. are like buds. And this movie, yeah. Tom Hanks is. So Sad and wants time to be sad, and his fucking shithead son will not let him grieve and has to call radio stations about it. Yeah. I know you want a mom. That's really sad. Any kid in that scenario, should, I understand why they would have that desire. But going above and going up, you're a kid. You don't get to fucking decide what your parents are going to do. That's the way it works. I know it sucks. You and Gabby Hoffman can print out plane tickets all you want, but it doesn't change. You shouldn't have the power to do that because you're a dumb idiot. <laughs> uh, I hate it. It's just so annoying. Like it's just it's and, and it's and again it's compounded. It's not all the kids' fault. It's I hate this kid. If Ross Malinger lives in L.A. and I see him, I'm gonna at least be like, dude, you were bad in that movie. But <laughs> Nora Ephron does him no favors because I just I, and I think it. I, I imagine the the I I can't imagine there was any. The initial idea had to be that uh, Annie Reed and Jonah would be adorable and redeeming right like i have to imagine that was the plan like her eccentricities and his precociousness would be the audience would love it but and maybe some audiences do but i just did not for a second feel like either one was the case uh yeah i don't i don't know what the idea was but it didn't doesn't come together um at least at least when you're viewing it in 2020 yes. uh, i don't know what people in 1993 were thinking but yes it Here was, we are. It's and I, I mean I, I gave like I on my letterbox app I gave it two stars because I think there are still <laughs> redeeming like as much as I yeah. yell about it like it's not bad it's like I've seen horrible movies like it's not a horrible movie but it just I think I think there is like enough there to make something about it you know like there is Tom Hanks is charming Meg Ryan is a good actress like you know again there's a good cast like there's Bill Pullman is very good in it like David Hyde Pierce is adorable when he's there like the Rob Reiner is kind of charming in his one real scene like there are things that I like there were moments when I looked up and and laughed and had a good time it's just scene to scene there's just no consistency there's just no you're you're never I was never captivated or swept away or felt like the movie was you know really building to something that I it should be building to it just was very haphazard and and again at the end of the day I couldn't help but be like this is the movie we look at and you know or this is another movie to bring it back to Tom Hanks that cements him as, you know, everything. Like, you know, he, he took a $20 million rom-com and made 
hundreds of millions of dollars, like, and and didn't even yeah. seem to try that hard in the process. Like, this is this is huge for Tom Hanks, but it just it doesn't deserve any of the praise I think it gets for Tom or for the rom com genre. I don't think it really rises either to deserve in new heights. Yeah, and well, I think what's interesting to bring it back to to Hanks for a second, which is the the whole raison d'etre of yeah, this, the kid of is this episode. Sorry, that was, um, I'm, I'm like out of yeah. breath yelling about this kid, so I'm going to cool there, down for a second. There, 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 will, be, there will be no Ross Mellinger uh, <laughs> tribute, tribute series coming. Um, although it would be fun to watch Sudden Death. Um, uh, it, well, what's interesting going into this is, I, you know, I mean, I don't, it's, it's weird growing up with Tom Hanks and like I would love to talk to a serious film fan or like scholar at the time because this was the to me in our progression you know we're going chronologically like this comes right before forrest gump and philadelphia um and to me i thought this was going to be the movie where it's like we'd watch it and we'd go oh this is the one that vaulted him into like this other echelon where he became like the tom hanks that he still is today and i think what this actually this movie actually does is confirm that he was kind of already there because when you look at the character, I mean, you said blank slate, that's exactly what I think of him. Like the, the Sam Baldwin character is like other than one moment where he's very pissed off at his shitty son and talks about getting laid. He really doesn't have much of a personality other than his wife is dead. Um, (laughs) like, Like there's not like, and he's an architect. There's not like, there's nothing there's we don't really know anything about him, um, which is completely fair given the circumstances. And I'm not like, uh, like that. Is, that would probably become your identity for a while. But like, it's a blank slate on which you can kind of like write your own story. And and why I say that, con- that it confirms it is because like this is such a huge hit. Uh, to me, this is the first movie we're watching where I'm like, oh, this is like Tom Hanks just skating on being Tom Hanks. Like that's the that's the character he plays in this movie. He's not like it. It, it literally kind of reminded me of, of a much later movie, which we're not going to do on this, which is The Post. Uh, which I was like, that's not Ben Bradley. That's Tom Hanks being a newspaper guy. Like that's just like that's the character he was playing, and he was perfectly fine in that movie as well. But um, you know, it, it like to me that this is not like a this isn't a vaulted it. This isn't a movie that's like oh it vaulted him into a new echelon. Like it just to me probably cements that he was. He, he already had this appeal and people already recognized it again without the context of having really been a sentient film critic type person at 10 years old in 1993 when this came out. Yeah. Whether, and whether that's retrospective or not, I think you're a thousand percent right. I think that's a really good way to put it. Like it's, you know, going through these movies, we wanted to separate it out a little bit so we could get a little early Hanks. And then, you know, before we end that, you know, we're about to get into the run of Oscars and $100 million and just, you know, unquestioned dominance over everything. But I think we, I think, you know, in your memory and also in my having never seen it, I think we both thought that was, we, you described it very well. We both thought it was going to be the, the movie that showed his ascendance and it's not. And, uh, and that's fascinating to watch now. And it's, it's. It's, it's a bit of a letdown in a way, but I also understand it. And like I said, he's still – and the fact that he still does well and is yeah. good in it and is charming and and I, I think – like as you know, I think that's a very blank slate boring – as we both said, it's a blank slate boring character and doesn't do him any favors. But the fact that he does such a good job with it is proof that he is this magnetic – 
leading man personality that is ready for, you know, to, to extend his boundaries and do something a little different. Whether that's playing a mentally challenged man across American history or not, that's, uh, you know, I don't know if anyone saw that coming necessarily, but certainly, you know, this was, you know, this, I, I imagine after this, you know, to quote another podcast I love, he got a blank check of sorts where it was like, okay, like, Tom Hanks prints money. What does Tom Hanks want to do? We'll, we'll take him for anything or we'll pitch him with everything and then he can have his pick of the litter, you know, like he can yep. do whatever he wants. So then, of course, you know, uh, on purpose or not, he starts making, he makes Philadelphia, he makes Paul. They're like, what movies we'll talk about. But he makes, um, he does all these things that are wonderful. And, you know, if, and I guess that's the best way to look at Sleepless in Seattle is that it gave him the opportunity to do whatever, you know, like, if you can, if you can do a uh, ten times multiplier on your rom com that costs twenty one million dollars, a decent amount of money in nineteen ninety three for a rom com. So if you can ten times that, I bet Hollywood will let you literally just run wild with whatever you want. And to his credit, he he took the ball and he ran with it, and he became you know as we'll get to in the next couple episodes, the Tom Hanks we know and love. Yeah, and I think the first thing he did with that blank check money is probably went straight to a, a barber shop to get his hair cut. <laughs> yeah. It's very out of control. He's got the I, Robert Langdon hair in this movie yeah, for sure. That's yeah. the first thing I thought. It's I it's it. it's more froey and permish. Well, that, I texted you while I was watching. I was like, "Do you have this haircut right now? Because I know you haven't been doing it. Like, and you've got kind of like, like that that like uh, similar color <laughs> and a little bit like his, a little bit wavy and curly." A little more down his head. Mine goes a little more mm-hmm. up, but his definitely. Yeah. He gets like I don't I can never get a mullet really. There's no way yeah. it's it's gonna get it's gonna get mine gets more poofy. But his definitely his his is a little in between at both at this point. It's got a little long in the back, but it's definitely got some volume up top. So it's definitely it's it's a lot of hair. it's it's, uh, it's thick for sure. He's he he was letting it go. A lot of hair, yeah. I mean maybe he's grieving. It's gr- yeah. grieving fro. Who has time for you? Don't want to sit in a barber chair for twenty minutes when you're sad about your wife. That's not a thing. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> no, no one wants to sit in a barber chair right now. But yeah, can't even. Yeah. Actually, I would love to sit in a barber chair. I'm just, I'm well, legally bound from doing so. Yeah. But should move, you should move to Georgia. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to take us. But I had to, I had to mention the hair. No, and, that was that was that's good. I have it in my notes. Yeah. I wrote Robert Langdon hair and cast. He's, I think so. Was, uh, he's definitely, he's definitely still like. Is definitely still um, uh, an attractive leading man uh, in this movie. Um, like I'll I'll buy the fact that he could he could go and sleep with six or seven women in college, uh-huh. or was it eight? Um, <laughs> and uh, you know we did we did get like that one scene. You got some really high quality Tom Hanks yelling yes, in there, which uh, is a thing we've talked about a lot. We we've been on you know a Tom Hanks yellow meter, and we've you know this is definitely the lowest of the three for so for sure. In terms of Hank's yelling, but we get a little bit of it, which is nice. Would you? Uh, here's a question for you. Would you for you? Would you rather uh, have Hooch as a roommate or Jonah Baldwin as a roommate? Oh man, or, that's or a good Stillwell, question. Or Stillwell from A League of Their Own. <laughs> What's your power rankings? <laughs> <laughs> well, the two children and the dog. <laughs> I would take Hooch as number one, and I'm not the biggest dog person in the world, but we all saw how Tom Hanks was so in love with him by the end. Like, I would, I'd be willing to go on that roller coaster knowing that at the end I was going to truly love this creature, even if there were a lot of trials along the way. I think, you know, the payoff would be worth the journey. And then second is Stillwell. As annoying as Stillwell is, it seems like once you sort of throw something at him, he gets really chastened and he stops being a jerk, you know? So there's a way to stop Stillwell from being annoying. 
you know he grows up and turns out okay, right? He's a too. sweet. He's a very nice man when he grows up. He seems very prim and proper. He's all put together. You know, he's great. So he, I think yeah. Tom Hanks throwing the uh, was he throwing the glove or the ball? The glove, right? Uh, uh, sure. I don't the remember. ball is a little more serious. I think the glove is a little less. It's still abusing a child, but I think you know the glove is yeah. a little more soft than a ball. So. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. still will get some sense smacked in him, and he grows up to be a nice man. And then Jonah Baldwin, I don't give a shit about this kid. Like, I don't want to talk about what someone has to do to Jonah Baldwin in this movie. He should just – I wouldn't want to live with him. I wouldn't want to have him as my, my ward or my heir or any sort of <laughs> relation to me in any way. I would just want him to leave my life as soon as he came into it. Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand it. Plus, like, Hooch, you know, if you ever got into a real pinch, he could kill some mobsters yeah, for you. Yeah, Hooch is, so, Hooch is yeah. a he's, – a, he's, he's tough to live with, and he brings home lady dogs – for dog sex, but he will defend you with his dying breath from enemies. So those are those are called bitches, Steve. <laughs> if Tracy Nelson turns his back on you, Hooch will somehow realize this has happened and then attack your former friend and now enemy Craig T. Nelson. So that's good. <laughs> Hooch loves his bitches, but other than <laughs> and that... he loves his bitches, of course. <laughs> he's uh, <sighs> he's great. Uh, we're just getting to the we're getting to the hard hitting stuff here. So. Sure are. We're getting right to it. So that about does it for our Sleepless in Seattle episode. But as we hinted at, we're about to hit a big run of Tom Hanks movies. We are about to hit an era where he doesn't make a ton of stuff. Like, if you look at his filmography, there's only, I think, six movies, seven movies in between now and 2000. But it's just home run after home run. You got so many we're not going to do. You got Forrest Gump. You got Toy Story, which we've already covered in previous episodes. You got that thing you do. You got You've Got Mail, which we discussed. But... And you've also got some ones that we're going to talk about. But all those are, you know, home runs to a certain extent. You've, that thing you do is probably the smallest home run, but still a beloved and very popular movie in a lot of ways. Yep. But the ones we're going to talk about, coming up next, you got Apollo 13, then you got Saving Private Ryan, and then you got The Green Mile. And, man, like, you know, just the fact that we can just cherry-pick three out of there. And, like, and I think we picked purposely, at least in terms of Green Mile, is – one that is not talked about so much, and I guess sort of Apollo 13 too, even though it's beloved, but like we yeah. picked interesting ones that we think have not been talked about to death, and still like there's been millions of words written about these movies and hours talked about them, and they're all, everyone we just named is fascinating in its own way, and it's really a seven or eight year stretch that's just truly unbelievable. Yeah, and and we're going to a more masculine phase, I guess you could say. We've had some, some rom-coms and romance, and now we're like Space, uh, prison, space, war, rock music, war, space, prisons, and war, <laughs> toys. <laughs> so, so, so uh, to leave Toy Story out of this, yeah, <laughs> just yeah, saying, no. those are what he focuses on for. A few I years, mean, what so. we're doing, the episodes we're doing, they're very, they're but, yeah. But that's a fascinating observation that we can talk about as we go through this. Like he, you know, this has been a little stretch. Like we said, he did two movies with female directors, which is cool, despite their, you know, especially the flaws of this one and. You know, League of Their Own is not perfect, but still, he, you know, he was certainly making interesting, more interesting choices. And in the next couple of years, he makes bigger hits, but he certainly settles into a more traditional leading man yeah. uh, persona, at least in terms of what he's making. You know, the movies yep. are not always indicative of what you expect a leading man to do, but they are leading man type movies, as we've come to know from Hollywood. So, for better or for worse, certainly for better in most ways, but he, he definitely settles into becoming Tom Hanks, you know, big, big movie star, which is fascinating in its own right and totally understandable and leads to a lot of good stuff that I'm excited to talk about. So those three movies are coming soon, so watch them, enjoy them. You got a couple weeks, but that's where we're going. We're making record time, Andrew, as we traipse through all these Tom Hanks movies. We're moving at the speed of light for us, and that's very cool. 
And it's fun. Like, he's, he's, he's got a great career, and there's a bunch of really good stuff coming up. So go to InRealDeep.com, subscribe to the In Real Deep podcast, listen to our previous Hanks episodes, and get ready for more to come. And they will be on your digital doorstep in the very near future. Andrew, thanks for joining us. You and your family stay safe, hunker down with more Hanks, and uh, keep getting that delicious beer delivered. Uh, thank you, and uh, I will. And you all say the same as well. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll be seeing you further on at the road. Adios. Adios.